Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today on the show, the sneaky, dark, emotional damage of divorce. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson, and I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Divorce, by definition, is damaging. Taking apart a relationship impacts us far beyond the law. Today on the show, clinical psychologist Dr. Margaret Rutherford joins us to talk about how the stresses of divorce can sneak up on us in ways we might not expect. In addition to her practice, she's the author of Perfectly Hidden Depression, How to Break Free from the Perfectionism that Masks Your Depression, and the host of Self Work Podcast, Margaret. Welcome to the toaster. Well, thank you. Margaret is just fine. I worked really hard for that doctor part, but I don't particularly like being called that. Margaret is just dandy. Okay. Well, I mean, I tell people, do not replace my law degree, 20 years of practice, federal (laughs) clerkship with your Google search. So if you're the boss, though. If you want us to call call you Margaret, we We got it. Well, sometimes I thought if somebody calls me Dr. Margaret Rutherford, I look over my, or Dr. Rutherford, I look over my shoulder like, who? Who are they talking yeah. to? <laughs> yeah, right. We're pretty cash down here in Arkansas, you know? Well, I love it. I, I'm very excited to have this conversation because, you know, I mean, we're a we're a, a legal podcast, right? It's a, it's a show about the legal process of, of divorce and, and uh, where humanity runs headlong into the law. Uh, but there's obviously this other side that we don't touch during legal separation. And, and frankly, I, I think, and I don't, you know, both of you can catch me when I start lying, frankly, might get in the way of the legal process of divorce. And yeah, and by the way, on your lying part, yeah. Pete, you got a lawyer and a yeah. doctor here. So watch I it. Like this is a hell of a safety net <laughs> is, is what I've got. I'm really excited about that. What we don't talk about is, is what I read in a recent post that you wrote, uh, Margaret, about emotional divorce. What does it mean to get emotionally divorced? Well, it's a heck of a lot harder than getting legally divorced, as hard as getting legally divorced can be. Mostly, um, I, I ter- I'm sure everyone else uses the term emotional divorce as well, but to me, you can be divorced for years. And in fact, you probably had the experience of talking with someone, just meeting them, and they say they're divorced, and they launch into this diatribe about their ex. And you think, oh, they must have gotten divorced maybe a few months ago, and you find out it was like six years ago. (laughs) And they still got this incredible intensity about the divorce, or they are suffering because their kids are suffering, or... And it can it can take so many forms, but I really do think that it's a separate concept. Um, the legal, you know, I've been divorced. Um, I've worked with a lot of people who are getting divorced, and I know attorneys do try to keep the emotion out of it. If you if you're handling a divorce with integrity, that means you're facing the fact that you've made some mistakes. And then it's a failure of, of a kind. Now, you know, if you've been abused and that kind of thing, then obviously there's really good reason to leave. But so many of us um, either chose poorly or we, we ourselves did damage to the relationship. So there are a lot of things to work through. And then, of course, you add children to the mix. And I've often said, you know, divorce with kids is not the same as divorce without kids. So don't see your good friends divorce and they don't have any children. Oh, well, that won't be too hard because it's very difficult, yeah. complex. And, 
in all of our conversations with all of our guests. And divorce is hard. No matter, it's just a matter of degree of how difficult your divorce is going to be. And what I mean by that is I think exactly what your point is, is sometimes I can get them through the legal process very quickly. No children, they agree on the division of assets, they agree on whether or not there'll be any support paid afterwards, and they're done. But emotionally, Mm-mm. that's a case that I'll never think of again. It came in, it came out. I hope someone go through the legal process and like, oh yeah, I'm good. We've been separated for three years, for, you know, for many years, and we just need to finalize the paperwork. But there's something about that paperwork being finalized. Oh, seeing it in black and white is just often very shocking for people. And they'll say to me, you know, it's, it's as if all of this, whether it's two years, five years, 17 years of trying to make this relationship work or, or putting in my own effort toward making it work, there's, you're not just grieving the other person not being in your life anymore. You're grieving all the things you did, said, promised, vowed tried hard, you know, whatever to create. And you're grieving all of that energy. Actually, that has to be reinterpreted. That kind of, you know, let's say, you know, you you go every day and put a dollar in in a savings account in the bank. Do they still exist? Savings accounts? I'm not sure. But I think they do. Um, anyway, so you spend a dollar. So you spend 15 years putting a dollar every day. So, and then that accrues 1% or something, whatever savings accounts do now. Well, that's good in this market. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> but anyway, you're counting on there being a big wad of money there. And that's what people who try really hard in relationships, they are giving every day. They're They're trying to, well, the ones with integrity are they're trying to make this relationship work they're doing stuff they don't want to do they're they're going to see their in-laws and they're not wild about them your partner is doing the same and so you know you get to the end of that time and you see in black and white this is over and then you go to the bank you say well at least i have all that that i committed all that all that energy i gave and it's gone it's gone And so you have to reinterpret, and that's what part of the emotional working through is all about, reinterpreting your own commitment, your own energy, the meaning of what you did and who you were and who you became in that relationship. And it it can take a while. I will, as as far as transparency, transparency is concerned. I've actually been divorced twice. I've now been married and happily married, as my husband would say, for about half that time for 31 <laughs> years. Uh, so I finally did something right and, and picked better. But I remember my first husband saying to me, because he'd been divorced before, uh-huh. and he said, you're not going to understand how this affects you. And, you know, I brushed him off like, whatever. And he was right. He was absolutely right. I had no idea how it was going to affect my life. And by going through that process of divorce and going through the emotional divorce. By going through the process. I still don't, I don't regret that I got divorced, but I didn't realize personally, this was, I was a jingle singer back then. I was a, a professional vocalist back then. It was way before I was a psychologist. So I had a lot to learn, but, um, yeah, I thought I could just get divorced and kind of leave that behind, you know, and that's not the way it worked out. You no, know, that's an interesting point you make about that, about getting divorced and leaving that behind. Because if you're out in the dating world, the question will come up, have you ever been married or are you sure. divorced? Sure. Right? No one ever asked, 
have you been in a long-term relationship that you're no longer in? <laughs> right? It, like, it just sounds funny. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But something about taking the vows, getting a marriage certificate, and then going through the legal process of divorce, that that question is very common to all of us. Exactly. It's kind of one of the facts that you that you um, recite for someone. I, I grew up in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. I blah blah blah. I've been divorced. I, you know that kind of thing. And so, you know, and, and in fact, I will tell y'all that um, when I was in graduate school after my second divorce, I, I this guy asked me out. He was a PhD and had already gotten his degree, and he was asking me about my life. And I said, Well, I've, I've got my second divorce about six months ago and he literally looked at me and said if i'd known that i wouldn't have asked you out wow <laughs> and like, i what I, kind of I, what kind of stuff is he throwing at you there like what's really, going on internally really yeah. well i will right? tell you what i did i ordered the most expensive thing on the menu <laughs> 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 and i did not go home with him it's, it, i was he wouldn't ask me out again, but he did want to have another kind of relationship with me that was brief. <laughs> we didn't we okay. didn't do that either. <laughs> I, I that is fascinating to me. That's sort of almost it, it's a weird sort of a scarlet D, right? That yes. that you carry around. And I think it's so fascinating what you're talking about here because well, I guess on two fronts. One, that you're both talking about the legal process and I think the vows. Do, uh, maybe mean more, even if you don't carry around a uh, uh, specific like spiritual sort of uh, backing that would say, you know, I want to have a, a particularly kind of religious ceremony. But the fact that you've taken the vows and you've signed your name on the line, which is dotted, sure. uh, that that means something different than just another long term relationship. And the the process of becoming legally unmarried and emotionally unmarried uh, requires you to have resilience between those two experiences, right? To be mm -hmm, able to bounce right. between that's those experiences. I think that's exactly right. Is that a common thing that you you find with people you're working with and they, they come into you and they say, okay, I'm starting this process. Like, where do I start? Yes, I you know, generally I ask about the, you know, Tell me why you got married, what you were looking for, what you thought you were getting. You know, there's a great book uh, called Coming Apart. It's an old book, but it's been revised a whole lot um, by Daphne Kingma. And she talks about how when you really look back at failed relationships, be they marriages or just um, those long-term relationships that didn't, what did you say, Seth? Um, you know, that you will find the one thing that you ignored, that your gut told you to pay attention to, but you did not. And we all have that thing that we thought, oh, well, this was, you know, this will not be a part of our relationship that, you know, my love for him will fix this. And then that doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, I find that interesting about the first question you asked is what basically at the beginning of your relationship or why did you get married or what were you, it, it all sounded to me about what were your expectations. Right. All those questions are about expectations. And I tried to really focus in my own life about being clear about expectations because I think if a lot of people get upset when their expectations aren't met, even if those expectations should not be the expectation. So for example, clients will be very upset about what their former spouse is doing. And I'll ask, that's been the behavior for how long? Exactly. It's, it's why you got divorced. <laughs> 
Some people seem to think that everybody's going to rise and and be their best self during a divorce. And I have rarely, if ever, seen that. Maybe in a very amicable divorce where they're kids and and there's just been a lot of love and it's just, oh, we were best friends and we should never have gotten married, something like that. And they are both parting ways, even though that can be hard, but it is at least amicable. And I have seen those people kind of be their best selves. I'm going to ask you a leading question that gotcha. is going to tell you what my answer is, and hopefully you'll agree with me. But if not, that's <laughs> I'll fine. I'll allow it, but watch yourself, because counselor. One of, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Pete, one I, of I my... am a doctor, you know. Uh, yes, that's what I've heard. I'm a little nervous about this conversation, <laughs> looking into my soul. <laughs> I feel that whatever your personality traits are, the overwhelming ones, are heightened in a divorce. If you're oh, yeah. anxious, you're super anxious. Oh, if yeah. you're watch every dime, you watch every penny or every nickel, you know, like or nickel than the penny, right? That's right. It, it, do you find that to be the case as well? I say to everyone when they're trying to make the decision whether to divorce or not, look me straight in the eyes and let me say, divorce mimics the marriage it comes from. So if there's greed, if there's jealousy, if there's um, if there's deceit, if there's um, control issues, if if you know if family is intrusive, all of that's gonna be, as you said, I think that heightened. is powerful. I've yeah. never heard it said that way. That really struck a chord with me. Yeah, it it and people have this fairyland idea of. You know what it's going to be like, and 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 like you say, Seth, they'll come to me and say, "I just don't understand why she, or I don't understand why he's doing that." And I said, "Because that's exactly what you chose. That's that's so you have to figure out when you're doing this emotional healing, what was important in you choosing this person. What were you trying to learn? What did you learn?" <laughs> I'll also tell you that number one piece of advice that I give people that they never follow or rarely follow, and that is wait. Get your divorce and then wait a good year before you start another relationship. You know what? I've heard that where um, it's a year from the actual final judgment, from the divorce That's decree, right? right? Before you get into another serious relationship. Because you haven't changed. You are going to choose for, you can think, oh, he's taller or she's, 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 she's got a, she's a, she's a lawyer or she's got her own career. And my first wife. Don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) Advice of counsel. Don't marry a lawyer. No, in fact, I don't particularly like lawyers as patients because they argue with me all the time. But um, <laughs> anyway, that's right. A little good arguing. My brother is an is a lawyer and we argue. So that's good. But. You know, I I think that people well we all we get lonely. I mean, it's loneliness is hard. And then if you're a single parent, that's hard. Or if you're trying to get used to having the kids for a week and then not having the kids for a week, you know that kids that is just tough. And especially if you don't trust the other person very much, if you're wondering what's going on, or if or if they're like if they brought a girlfriend or a boyfriend in way before you thought they would. I mean, there's so many complexities here. So. Uh, what I try to do when someone is saying, well, I'm thinking about getting divorced, I run through, you know, this is likely to happen. Have you thought about this? What's it going to be like when you put your couple of kids in the car and 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 wave and say goodbye for two weeks in the summer? I mean, how but are you going to handle that? that? What's the goal of that? Is It doesn't sound to me like you're trying to persuade them to stay married. No, I'm not. I want them to 
to know, to look ahead and say, what skills do I have or what skills do I need to learn in order to handle that? I would never tell somebody unless they're literally getting the you know what beat out of them every day that and even then it would have to be careful. Um to get, you know, this relationship needs to end. Um, that's not my role. My role is to help someone understand. My, I tell you what my role, my role is to help someone look at everything they need to look at that they can think of and that I can think of with my experience. And then we'll mail those experiences so that they can think of, you know, what are the what the blessings going to be? What am I going to enjoy? And what am I going? Right. How's my life going to be? I call that the silver lining of yes. divorce with children. Is you get every other weekend off. That's right. That's right. Now, people, when I first tell them that, are like, <laughs> I, "You're going to cry your eyes out the first weekend you don't have yeah. your kids if you're very involved and you're used to having them." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there will be a time when you're like. Oh, you're going to the other parents. Let's go. Come on, get your stuff ready. Got to go. Like, yeah, cause yeah. You're you're, you're going to um, recharge your batteries in whatever way you do that on that weekend. Mm-hmm. And I believe that being a single mom is the hardest job in the world because of all the societal pressures. Harder than being a single dad. When I was first divorced, I would say I was a single dad, and people would say, "Oh my God, did your wife pass away?" Oh, no one thinks about that for a single mom. Wow. Right? Because it's not the term people typically use. Right, right. And I think language is really important. And I'd be like, no, my son's mom is my former spouse. She's amazing. Every other weekend I have them. And I have them a couple days during the week, depending on the week. Like, but it just would hit people's ear much differently. That's very interesting. But then I, I mean, I miss my son greatly on the weekends. I didn't have him. And then I started thinking, hey, this is okay. Like, yeah. he's having fun at mom's. And, you know, and we kind of went down that path. And he was two and a half when we uh, decided not, no longer to be married. And and he's 16 now. And we have a great relationship. Um, I have one with him. I have a great relationship with my former spouse. Her and her husband came over for Super Bowl. Um, I have to give a little shout out to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who won the Super Bowl in their home stadium. But, you know, shake your head, Pete, all you want. You know, truth is the truth. All Um, right. All right. These type of conversations about figuring out who you are and looking yourself in the mirror and say, have I done everything I can to to stay in this relationship and on this path in life right with this person or do i want to take a different path or if they're taking a different path and i don't want it want to i have to wrestle with that because now my past changed because it might not be your choice yes you know um part of that emotional work is also obviously whatever conflicts there were in in the marriage there may be some resolution to those with the ending of the marriage, but a lot of marriages don't have that kind of emotional closure. I mean, if you were able to get that, you might not be getting divorced in the first place, as I think Pete said that a few minutes ago. Yeah. And so, you know, you you have to kind of live with this sense of there's this raw wound that you're walking around with. And, you, you know, I know I did. I had this sort of longing to sit down with both these men that whose I had hurt and had hurt me and to say, hey, listen, this is what I did. And, you know, I'm I take responsibility for it. It was not wise on my part. I know it was hurtful to you and I'm very sorry. And then have their take their part, you know, and we have this kind of 
wonderful kind of, again, closure, and then we could all walk away. But you know what? That doesn't happen for I was just going to ask, wait, are you telling me you did that? Because that's amazing. No. That's like a unicorn just happened on the show right now. <laughs> no, I wish I could sit here and tell you that I had, but unfortunately, I wanted to, but it was not reciprocated. Yeah. So, you know, and maybe I never even got it across that I wanted to. Who knows? We had a guest on the show who actually did that with her husband over a period of time because they're raising a child together. They would go on trips for the child's uh, sporting events. Yeah. And they had some really frank conversations in the car after they were divorced. I think that can help them co-parent. Mm-hmm. It, it depends on really so much about do the two of you go on and and you create more chaos? I mean, do you bring the new girlfriend in or the new boyfriend or do you... Um, let's say you married someone with children and then you don't see those kids after, you know, you leave and you don't see, I mean, you're, you're creating chaos. And so, um, and both people can. Um, and so it's, uh, it's just, I mean, you know, if you're married to someone who can be really narcissistic or, or dramatic or whatever, then, you know, you've often got kids listening to that diatribe about how you're such a terrible person. And so, you know, one thing that parents often forget is that kids will want to please you. They'll want to please both of you. And so if they're in the middle somehow or another, then that's really, that's creating more chaos. So you working on your own sense of peace about what has happened and trying to disempower your partner from triggering you, then will help your kids as well as you. It's tough. I'm not saying it's easy. One one of our favorite sort of pop culture tropes is that of the rebound relationship, right? Stella has to get her groove back. Like we just, there's always that, that trope of, oh my gosh, you've, you've, you've got a divorce. Now you've got to go do something frivolous. Is there any rational (laughs) support for, uh, for the, the, the emotional health that comes from the rebound relationship? post-divorce uh that's a big fat no yeah that's a big fat no with dr rutherford is the title of our show right now that's right if that answer would have been yes pete might have been like i'm getting a divorce i want to see what this relationship's about now i will say to you that obviously if you've been um you know, if you've been told you're ugly or you're, you know, you're you're not worthy or that I can't believe I ever married you and then someone gets interested in you, that can certainly be healing. But if you haven't done that all important thing about waiting, <laughs> um, then, you know, you can really or you, you sleep with somebody and then you decide they're the love of your life and boom, create chaos. So, um, you know, it's just... Um, I'm not saying that there can't be healing and some positivity coming your way. Of course there can be. But again, you you have to do the inner healing, whatever. You know, my second husband used to say to me, you better stay with me or because nobody would stay with you if they knew the kind of person you were. And there was a part of me that absorbed that and believed it. So when I, well, not the guy who took me out that told me he wouldn't have taken me out. That guy was not no, helpful. He wasn't in my the healing. right guy. <laughs> no, he wasn't the right guy. The lobster was good. But, um, but anyway, it's, it's this, I had to do that inner healing. I had to figure out again, why had it been and I've been attracted to someone who could be verbally abusive like that and controlling. And, you know, what was that about for me? So that 
I would choose differently. Um, and if I chose to be in a relationship again, which if there was, you know, a year or so, I didn't think I would be. But, mm. you know, the other thing, let's talk a little bit about um, second divorces, because there are a lot of people who've been divorced at least twice. And what I have found is that what surprises people is that they think a second divorce will actually be easier because they've been through a divorce. I find that it's harder because you have, I mean, let's face it. I've got a question on that before you okay. go over it. When you're saying harder, are you saying emotionally? Yes. Emotionally because in harder. the legal sense, it depends on the case. Oh, yeah. Some no, 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 like, no, yeah. not legally. They're like, I, they're like, I've been through this before. I know what it's like. Yeah, you yeah. You know, I, know the, I right. know the rigmarole right. you have to go through. I know that the right. interrogatories are meant to incite violence. That is not the definition in Black Law Dictionary. <laughs> well, they do. I Questions asked by a lawyer to incite violence <laughs> is not that. I got to defend my profession a little bit here. Well, they're pretty rough. I know that. So um, maybe not violence, but at least some bad behavior on the other person's part. Um, but when you get, you know, I'm saying what's just common sense. When you get divorced a second time, you are the common thread. There's no way you can say, oh, I picked the wrong person yeah. or, oh, I, I mean, I guess right. when I say no way, if you have absolutely no integrity, yes, you could still be in denial and just think that you, that all women are terrible or all men are terrible. Mm -hmm. So, but there is this sort of notion, I think, this, this uh, again, we're talking about sort of busting pop culture bubbles, that once you've been divorced yep. that second time, you're really, you've broken the seal, and now you're a person who divorces. And my yeah, exactly. many of my friends who have been divorced, that is a fear they still talk about. Now, 10, 15 years into their second marriage, when they have trouble, when they're, they're facing conflict with their spouse, that they have demonstrated over the years they can resolve and have great, healthy marriages. They sure. still carry that fear in their back pocket that they don't want to be the person who divorces, that, that that's really resonant to them. Well, you know, when I moved, I got my training in Dallas at UT Southwestern Medical School, and my husband got a, an offer of a job here in Northwest Arkansas, and I had grown up in Southern Arkansas, and I was bound, bent, determined that no one in Fayetteville, Arkansas would know that I'd been divorced twice. I was just going to pretend that my husband was my only husband. If, you know, if, if asked, I would just sort of change the subject um, because of that very sense of stigma and labeling and fear of uh, being judged overly harshly, perhaps. I mean, you know. What What I find interesting about that is we're then caring what other people think. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, yes, when, but it's also your own shame. I mean, your shame makes it where you would absorb. I mean, there are people who go to certain conservative churches and that kind of thing that would judge you know, someone who'd been divorced twice. So that is a reality. But you have to absorb it is my point, right? Like I appreciate that, that, and, and my son actually just did this in school. They, they were doing a thing on um, how people treat each other based on their um, rank in life. Yeah. Right. Their station in life. And the way they did that is they all held up cards to their foreheads, but they couldn't see their own card. And Ace was the lowest and King was the highest. And you had to treat the person based on their rank. Wow. <laughs> Very powerful thing about just by this social rank that we've all given each other. And he said, oh, yeah, I knew I was 
to two or three. Wow. Like I watched what the other behaviors were and there were wow. some people being treated worse than me. That's why I thought it was an ACE or a two for them. And then other people, people dropping on their knees and bowing. So, but that was people were absorbing what they thought of them yes. by how they were being treated. Yes. But we don't necessarily have to do that. Is that? No, you can. I mean, healing you do in that year after divorce that you can't just say, hey, Margaret said, wait one year. It's been a year. I'm going to go get in a serious relationship, <laughs> it's, right? No, it, it's a little more work than that. You know, I had a supervisor when I was getting in graduate school in Texas, and I didn't like him very much. He was a big, tall, lanky Texan, and he swaggered and that kind of thing. And I thought he was really had drunk his own Kool-Aid too much. But um, he said something to me and to a group of us that were in training with him that I've never forgotten. I didn't agree with it at the time, but now I, I know he was right. And this is what he said. Shame is helpful for 10 seconds. It's a helpful emotion if it lasts for 10 seconds and it leads to a change of behavior. I'll say that again. Shame is a helpful emotion if it lasts for 10 seconds and it leads to a change of behavior. That's what you have to do with whatever shame you have about divorce, whatever you feel shame about, having an affair, whatever it was that might have been a part of the divorce rubric. And so, you know, so many people think shame is the same thing as a good conscience. It's not. It's not. It's very different. It is a, it's something you carry around on your shoulders and you can feel its weight every day. And what it makes you do is absorb all that negativity that's coming at you. And if you have worked through the shame, and as Brene Brown so uh, prolifically writes about, that you realize, yes, one of my vulnerabilities is I've been divorced twice. One of my vulnerabilities is X, Y, or Z. Then that's a, that's a position of strength, you know, because I have admitted to myself and worked through some of my own vulnerabilities. And that actually is empowering. That's so fascinating to me. And I talk to people about this a lot. When you're vulnerable emotionally, that is a sign of strength. Yeah. When you can say, hey, here are my weaknesses instead of hiding them and being defensive. Right. Right. Or whatever other emotions are going on. Or we'll have meetings at the office. And before we start the meeting, we'll just say, where, where is everyone on this meeting? And sometimes I'm the guy leading the meeting. And I'll be like, hmm. I'm like a caution yellow, like my head's somewhere else right now. I'm going to do my best. Wow. I'm just not fully here. And people will go around and other people are like, I've been waiting. I'm ready for this. I've reviewed all the cases. I'm really ready to get going. Or maybe it's a procedure we're trying to change. Like I've worked hard on changing a procedure to be more efficient, to help our clients better. And I'll be like, okay, look, I'm going to let you run this meeting. Like you're really focused, ready, go. And so we will do that before we start a meeting. Well, and that is so powerful. You because, Well, thank you. Because then when someone's kind of like lackadaisical in it or not really focused, it's not the idea. They told you that's where they're showing up today. Sure. And we don't believe, hey, whatever happens outside the office stays at the office because that's just not the way life works, right? It affects you in some way. Um, so that, that being vulnerable just really makes sense to me. There's really powerful implication to all of that, which is, you know, if, if you are not aware, if you're not doing at, at least 
some of the work, the sort of internal emotional work during your divorce, you're going to be taking on the identity of potentially these negative stereotypes that we've been talking about of the tropes. And when you are vulnerable, it's one of the things that I love so much about Brene Brown's work is that when you are vulnerable, you're taking on a much more powerful identity, a powerful persona of ownership of the reality of your life and not the stories that we tell ourselves in our heads when we're at our most fragile. So true. You know, I will tell you that I did keep that a secret for a couple of years. And I can remember the young woman, she was getting her second divorce and she was crying and she was across the the table from me. And she looked up at me and she said, well, I know you would not know what this feels like getting a second divorce. And I took a breath and I looked at her and said, you're about to join a club that I've been a member of for several years. And I know how hard it is. And she looked at me like, really? (laughs) And it was this, you know, powerful moment between her and, and me. And, and at that point I just said, boom, it's work, you know, so what, (laughs) so what, you know, let the, let the, um, whatever fall where they may, whatever that phrase is. Chips fall where they may. There you go, chips. Um, But anyway, I, I'm one, I'm (laughs) Seth, I'm impressed that your law firm does that and good for them. And well, thank you. Yeah. 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 Do y'all know people that are divorced and really have not gotten let go of it or are still sort of, you don't have to name their names, but you know, what would you say? They're, they're divorced, but still, still married. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it about money? Is it about kids? Is it about, what is it normally about? The cases that I see is they'll be back in my office. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It, because it turns into you're, a... You're, it's conflict. You're now divorced. Mm-hmm. There's an agreement or there's a final judgment. You went to trial, whatever it is. There's some set of rules of behavior that we're supposed to follow. You're supposed to do X. I'm supposed to do Y. And sometimes, even though they're legally divorced, one party might not have wanted it. And the way you stay connected is through conflict. Exactly. They know if they do X, Y, and Z, the other side's going to call their lawyer and then we're going to get involved and now we're going to be back in court and I'm connected. Right. So the clients that have moved on, when that happens, they might call and say, I'm just giving you a heads up, Seth, this might be coming down the road, but you know what? I'm not going to make an issue of this because they're just trying to draw me back in. Wow, that's right? good. And, and it's not worth it. Even though this isn't right, there, there's a bigger picture here, mm-hmm. not about the specific behavior or the specific thing that is or is not happening. It's just not worth my emotional fight in my head and to take up space when I just want to go sit on the sidelines and watch my kid play a sport or right. read a book to them at night and not be distracted. Right. So, and I'm like, okay, legally you would be entitled to do X, Y, and Z. Nowhere in the law do you get compensated for the amount of emotional time that it takes you to deal with it. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. There could be almost an addiction to that kind of emotional back and forth that's played out in the courtroom. So yeah, I would agree. Well, that that leads to, I, and maybe this is a good opportunity to just sort of as we as we lead toward wrapping up. I, I think there is a, there there is a hole in the conversation that uh, I, I think we can fill, uh, and and that is around this process of doing the work for the emotional divorce. What are the things you can do? The tools you can employ uh, that can help you sort of day to day to 
create more of that healthy space between you and the separation of your marriage. And if it doesn't involve some guidance on social media, we're not doing our jobs. Yes, you're exactly right. In fact, I wrote something now quite a while ago about how social media makes this kind of emotional divorce so much more difficult because it's so easy to spy on somebody and to get information about their whereabouts and their and their goings on and, and all that kind of thing. So you're exactly right. You know, just like anything or mental problem, emotional problem, you have to see it as a problem first. And there are a lot of people who justify I'll never get over, you know, I'll never get over what he said to me. I'll never get over her having an affair. And they so they use this language that sets the stage for them being okay to stay in this hateful, blaming, resentful place. And they don't see it as a problem until they come to someone like me. I remember this guy that came in and um, he literally said to me, he'd been divorced and his wife, his ex-wife had had an affair. And it had hurt him a lot. And he it was interesting. He came to a female therapist because he said, I don't think you can trust any women. Oh. And so I started asking him, you know, what was going on. And that's sort of that's the way he was living his life. And he was having bad relationship after bad relationship because he was picking women that actually there were a self-fulfilling prophecy to that. They really didn't right. know how to. That are not trustworthy, exactly. but it doesn't mean all of them are not exactly. trustworthy. And so I finally said, don't you realize you haven't let go of your grief or your anger about, oh, I'm over her, I'm over that, you know, whatever. I said, well, I don't think you are. And so we began going through that grief that he had. And he also had terrible road rage, which, by the way, also got better. So, you know, you have to understand what's buried underneath some of those um, old issues that you run into. Um, I had a woman a couple of years ago, for example, who just kind of refused to believe she was divorced, you know, and she was very legally divorced <laughs> uh, a year or two. And she kept ask, acting like, well, he shouldn't do that. We're married. I said, um, no. And this woman was not psychotic. So, you know, she knew exactly. Um, it's it just to wrap around the idea she had not wanted the divorce. So you have to understand what is the emotional problem that you are weighed down by. Would, would one way to say that, Margaret, I'm just trying to. So Pete's question is, how do you start this healing process? Yeah. And I'm not trying to turn your degree into a bumper sticker, but accept where you are. You have to, you yeah. have to get to acceptance. Like I'm divorced or my former spouse had a long-term affair or a short-term affair and it crushed me. Now that I've said those words out loud, how can I start dealing with it and then go seek some professional help to start this? I do think that that uh, divorce groups can be very helpful because you see people needing to do the same thing you're doing. I think journaling can be extremely helpful. Um, I think obviously going into therapy can be also something that's eye-opening because a good therapist is not only going to, vil they're not going to vilify your ex. They may say things like, well, it sounds like he or she had this problem or that problem, but they're also going to lead you to look at what your part was in the, um, whatever the dysfunction was. I know we're closing up, but now that you've talked about going to see a therapist, is there just one or two things you can give our listeners to look for in finding a good therapist because there's good therapists and bad therapists, good lawyers, bad lawyers. And, and, and therapy is great, 
but just one or two quick things that you can say, this is what the therapist should be doing. And if they're doing, if they're not doing it, or if they're doing something bad, like mm, yellow flag, red flag, be beware. And, and when to look for one, right? Like when, when's a good time to engage it? Sooner support. rather than later. Okay. <laughs> it would be my response to that. And people go, I can't afford it or whatever, but there are all kinds of options out there. Even better help and talk therapy and some of these online therapies are doing some really good and they're much less expensive than I, I think to answer your question, Seth, that people don't realize the importance. In fact, all the meta-analyses of the research about therapy shows that the, the the relationship with the therapist itself is vital, that you feel understood, that you feel heard, that you feel respected, that you don't walk in the second or third session and she or he can't remember, you know, the name of your ex. I mean, you know, that they've got those things down about you. They remember that your mother died. They remember, you know, whatever these things. So you really want to feel attuned and you want to feel that whatever style of therapy they do, be it cognitive behavioral, be it... um emotionally focused therapy, be it uh, family systems therapy, and you can ask them what is your technique that you use, that they do that well and they do it consistently. And you might not know what that means, but you can, you can say, well, tell me something about cognitive behavioral therapy. What are we going to be doing? And you set goals. Therapy is no longer for many, many, many people. It's not psychoanalytic anymore where you lie down on the couch and you free associate and the therapist says nothing. I mean, that's just very unusual these days. It happens with psychoanalytic therapy, but there's so many other schools of thought. And so you've got this guide. You've got someone who's talked to hundreds of people getting a divorce. I also I often say to people, I'm a consultant. I'm just like your plumber. Who, you, you don't know how to fix your plumbing problem, but I've looked at a bunch of sinks that are messed up just like yours are. And so, you know, I've I've dealt up dealt with a lot. Yes, I've been divorced, but that's such a great point. Yeah, because so many. Yeah, it's I'm a, I'm consulting. You're consulting. I'll talk to opposing counsel, exactly. and we'll both know how the case ends. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. But oh, you yeah. got it. We can't make it end tomorrow. It's the clients have to get there, and and you know if you're settling case, cases settle when they're ready to settle because right. you, you lead the client through the process and finally they get to acceptance like okay i need to do this and move on and if they don't you know with trial you know the judge you know basically it's going to be in these parameters so i think that's a really good point that you've just seen it before yeah yeah dr margaret rutherford you're a treasure thank you so <laughs> thank you. so much for your time today this is terrific now i we've we've talked for a long time and we but now it's been a long time since we even mentioned uh all of the good news about you where would you like to send people to learn more about your work Oh, gosh. Thanks so much, Pete. Um, well, I'm very proud that I published a book in late 2019 called Perfectly Hidden Depression. I never wanted to write a book. I never had it in mind. And this topic really found me the kind of depression that often mental health professionals are missing. And we we all are missing and our friends and, and colleagues. You know, we all know someone who died by suicide who didn't look depressed, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, they looked like they had a great life. Those are the people I'm trying to reach. It's called Perfectly in depression it's everywhere my podcast is called the self-work podcast with dr margaret rutherford obviously and uh, that's also everywhere spotify iheart apple podcast stitcher podbean wherever mm -hmm. uh, and then my website is drmargaretrutherford.com and i love to have people come by and see what's there the i do a weekly blog post and a podcast i still see patients every week so um anyway it's been a delight to be here. I really, really appreciate it. 
Well, it's it really has been terrific. Thank you so much for your time. And I feel like you have uh, planted the seed for Seth's new book uh, on huh. the law, emotional health and the law. Check your emotional jurisdiction with Seth Nelson. <laughs> oh, you see what I did there? Feet. Oh. I felt it coming. Seth, it's been <laughs> boiling up in me for 40 minutes. It's been boiling up that joke. <laughs> Margaret, doctor, thank you so much for coming on the toaster. We really appreciate having you. Um, great insight. And I'm sure our listeners are going to be better off for it. Well, I certainly hope so. Y'all take care. Thank you all for downloading and listening to the show. We appreciate your time and attention, everybody. On behalf of Dr. Margaret Rutherford and Seth Nelson Esquire, I'm Pete Wright. Nothing. And we'll catch you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of Nelson Coster. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.